is time to go live and I cannot find my coffee. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now and he won't be long now. The water seal it, seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity and you have found the man Christian Saturday morning chill. Stick around. I'll be right back. You know, it, Jesus hates that thought. Can I say that? Is it okay to say that? That Jesus hates something? It seems like that might not be the right way to talk. Except for that, if you read the Bible, it is. It's the right way to talk. That there are things that are an abomination to Jesus Christ. He hates them. Hate seems to be something we're not allowed to do, though, these days. And that's a strange thing. I mean, I get how, like, hating good things is bad. Like, that's totally bad. You shouldn't, I mean, like, hate good things, right? But then... There's this, there's this problem. It's like there aren't any evil things, except that there's lots of them, and everyone's allowed to hate them, except you're not supposed to hate them. You're not supposed to hate. Stop hating, you. Hater. Don't be a hater. Right? And what this really shows is how far off the rocker we are in terms of any ability to discern the distinction between good and evil. Right? That we live in a society that has no moral compass whatsoever. They've been warning us about this for decades, generation and a half or so. Hey, if you take God out of the schools, everyone's going to go crazy. Uh, no, they won't. It'll be fine. Ha, 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 modern man, you know? And, and like, here we are. Jesus hates stuff. He hates evil stuff with lots of hatred, like with all the hatred of all eternity and the wrath of fire and hell. That's how much Jesus hates evil. And if you're like, that's, that's mean. Jesus is, that's because you're evil. That's why you say that. <laughs> so like, like, I mean, own it. And then remember that Jesus wants to save you from the evil. He hates it that much that he doesn't hate you. He hates it more and wants to like spite it, like spite the devil and show his grace and save you. Show his glory that he, in fact, can love even the evil, you. And, and, and you are then, by being loved, lovable and good, according to his promises, his mercy. And, of course, the atoning blood sacrifice payment before the entire world, that one dark day on the cross. A thing no one wants to pay attention to anymore as we want to argue about all manner of other things. Let's just ignore the cosmic reality of a buckling universe and a dead god on a tree. Jesus hates certain thoughts. And it's really important that we would learn to think this. If you're listening to Brief History of Power, Two White Guys, that's my podcast with Dr. Adam Kuhn. So you can find it on well, almost anywhere pod podcasts are found. Go find it. Uh, a Brief History of Power, Two White Guys is better than this show. It's more important than this show. On that, we've been talking about uh, retracting from civilization, not the Benedictine, Benedictine option a la Rodrère per se, as there's some historical lack of nuance, like defending yourself, uh, that, that maybe will be a different thing in the future than it was, say, in like the 1800s Western movements, right? Um, but uh, if you're going to circle the wagons in any way, shape, or form, and you're going to do this as Christians, one of the most important things that means right now is recognizing that Jesus hates certain things. Like, it's not, Jesus isn't just like, hey, it's all good now. Rock on. Yeah, go, go get him, everybody. Just have fun. Like, that's not Jesus. That's really not. That's the devil still. I mean, that's not the devil. He doesn't really think that either. That's a face the devil's wearing in order to get you to think Jesus says that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but, but Jesus is a little more like, I'm the reigning king of the universe and you're mine. Oh, you're not? Well, I don't care. And so he goes on. But, but you're mine. He means it every time he says it, right? And then when you're like, no, I'm not yours, Jesus. He hates that thought. 
He really, he really would like to stop that thought. He would like to murder the thought that you cannot be saved by him in spite of yourself. In fact, that's what he does with the gospel that he has risen. So that's one way that even Jesus hating stuff is like really good, right? This isn't like bad news. <laughs> it's good news that a good God hates stuff. I mean, I, I don't watch movies anymore. I, pr- I don't know that I ever will, honestly, at this point. But I do remember I was highly impacted by the last great series of movies I watched, which would have been the Avengers Marvel First Cycle. <clears throat> and Captain America does not like Thanos in a really healthy way. <laughs> Thor, less healthy. Captain America, very healthy, good hatred of evil going on there, yeah? Iron Man struggles with it, right? Gets to be the martyr sacrifice, the redeemed man, all that. Okay, fine. But 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 Cap's unwillingness to let evil win. The whole world says move. No, I won't. Okay, okay that's Jesus' hatred of evil. And why do we have to use pop psychology and pop media to express what the Bible really means? Golly, isn't that a scary thing? That we can't just refer to Bible stories as our answers. We've got to go to Captain America. Jesus hates that we have to go to Captain America to preach Jesus. Drop the microphone, fist. Drop it. Get rid of the paint to see the beam. That's a new one. Here we go. Get rid of the paint to see the beam. This is like unto when Christ talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees about how they paint the tombs of the prophets whom their fathers murdered and didn't listen to, right? Who they now also are effectively being like, not listening to Christ. And so this idea of whitewashing the tomb that, you know, outside it's pretty, man, look at that, look at that headstone we just put on that thing. They, they only put those up hundred years ago. No one can afford that these days. Well, there's a few, but not in the cemeteries you're going to get buried, buried in. In any case, hey, look at that headstone, look at that whitewash all over that pretty tomb. But inside, what is it? Dead bones, dead bones. And, and Christ says, this is a way of talking about humanity living and acting as we are now. And especially our religiosity, our spirituality, our attempt to placate the gods, our attempt to not believe in the gods, whatever you want to call all of that, right? Whitewashing dry bones, uh, whitewashing your deadness, whitewashing the decay, trying to make it all go away. Let's buy a new one, make it out of linoleum. Maybe it'll last longer. (laughs) They sold you, didn't they? Man, carpet, carpet, carpet. Anyway, that's that's a modern idea that we just got to talk about some other time. Do you need to be the one who reigns? That's more important than, than deconstructing the value of carpet. I can do it. But uh, do you <laughs> do you need to be the one who reigns? This is an important question. Sons of Solomon, have you heard of them? It's a prayer movement started by a couple of guys. I'm one of them, but I'm not the only one by any means. And what we believe is if you pray the same Psalms every day as a group for a year, it can't hurt you. And that it probably can't hurt the world either. So we're trying it. You can join us anytime. You can find us at the Mad Christian Discord. You can find that by getting the Discord app and searching for us the chill. When you get in, you'll be in the welcome to the madness. And yeah, if you don't know, it's weird, but people will help. Just ask, poke around, read the pinned comments and all this. In any case, one of the things about the Sons of Solomon and the prayer movement that it's working on is engendering Christian masculinity and Christian fatherhood particularly. And in this, that means reckoning with what the fourth commandment means. That means reckoning with what authority means. That means that just like Jesus hates certain things, that's good news. Uh, God built the word world to function in hierarchical 
authorized formations uh, fractally so that even like the, the elements kind of function in these ways. But, but hierarchy, order, and authority is something you cannot escape in creation. If you look at nature, it's evident and humans are part of nature. So why would we not have something to do with that since we're all evolved, right? I mean, we're just evolved. So we're going to be just like nature, right? Well, I don't actually think that. I think that God created nature. And so we're going to be just like nature because man's the head and pinnacle of nature in which God now has manifested himself as Jesus Christ, which is really cool. Let's go back to the main point. Uh, so this hierarchy is built into nature. We call this the fourth commandment in Christianity, honor your father and your mother. We see that in the relationship between the father and the child, in the relationship between the father and child is a natural authority that teaches you why we have authority. The father does not have the baby. So the father can be like, wow, look it. I got a small pooping bag of flesh that just needs me to feed it stuff I can't produce. Thank God. Like, like nobody said that in the wilderness trying to survive, but they did see something completely different that's very difficult to see today, which, oh my goodness, that's the future of humanity. That is life. That is me. That is what God has wrought. Oh my. And it's my responsibility, right, to, to deal with this. So fatherhood immediately has authority and in fact will protect and die for that little pooping, sleeping bag of flesh. Die for this thing, even though this thing has nowhere near the capacity the father does now. But a father knows that his son will have a capacity he does not have in the future and that that will be necessary for all people, for, for civilization, just for himself, right? So there's, there's a beauty there in this. And then in this, authority is given to the father by nature. You watch him just take it. He just has it. This authority is over the child for the child's good. Now, let me give you the three points to help you remember how this flows, right? Call it the Pendragon Principle. That is just something I made up to help you think about it because it's fun and speculative. Not speculative. It's fun and memorable and connected to Arthur, okay? You like Arthur? Speaking of needing cap, okay? Here's Arthur. So, the Pendragon Principle is that all authority is from above, to below, for below. Further still. There we go. From above, to below, for below, further still. Now, again, that what I just talked about with the fourth commandment, father's son's going to show this. So the authority that the father has over the son is from above, that's from the father in heaven, to below, that's to the father, for the sake of below further still. That's for the sake of the son. So the authority is always for the sake of the one under. This is why, by the way, I was just in a, effectively a taxi cab uh, th this day, coming back from having my car dropped off somewhere. And the guy's complaining about how they tax and tax and they don't ever do what they want to say or don't, don't ever do what they say, right? Well, it's because no one who's a fallen man really believes it's from above, four below, two below, four below, further still, if they're the one in the authority, right? This is our problem with kings. That's why we are the Americans that we are. It's like, wait a minute. They're like, get there. And then there's like three degrees of separation. Now they don't care about me. And they just do whatever they want. And they just take and take and take. This is really, really not so good. Yeah, they don't understand the Pendragon principle, which is why if you do not have a Christian or at the very least a monotheistically religious or at the very, very least a pantheistically, but totally like Confucian and realizing it works a certain way, religious kind of leader, you're in a lot of trouble. You really are. You're going to have a leader who's going to do whatever you fill in the blanks he feels like doing. And then ideas have consequences and bad ideas have bad consequences. And sometimes leadership elite ideas have consequences that are like decades and generations long and you can't go back. One child policy. Check it out. I mean, no, don't. You'll look at Google and they'll tell you it's a good thing, even though China has been backtracking on that one. They really have. Uh, they're, in, they're in trouble. That was not the approach. <laughs> that was not the approach. Uh, and, they, and they know it. Do you need to be the one who reigns? Okay, so Pendragon Principle. So this is the key to authority. First, it exists. You can't avoid it. Second, you're going to get some of it. Third, where you have it, own it. 
Stop pretending that it's bad to be an authority. Stop being afraid of the authority you've been given by God. He made you. He puts you there. So if someone's put a task in your hand and it is in fact yours, own the authority, right? And then uh, this is where I really want to go with this this morning. When you've come to the point where you have ownership of your life, you're able to handle your vocation wherever it is, you can meet the needs of the person you got to meet. And you run into somebody else who's also independently established himself as what you might call a pen dragon, an alpha, a leader, somebody who is uh, just as strong as you. Even if this is just your neighbor across the fence, right? This can be any any context. You're you're established as a man owning your Christianity and the future, right? Like honestly, and you run into another one who's just like you. Who who's in charge of that conversation? Who's the leader? Who's the who plays aggro, who plays defense, right? Or or uh, in other words, if it gets a little bigger than that, there's 3, there's 5, there's 7, who decides where you eat? How is oh, you it's going to vote, right? That's totally how it works. In a group of 6, like it's totally just everyone's equal opinion. Full on. No, see that's a lie. <laughs> now what happens is there's a dominant one or three who then will hopefully know about the others enough to care about what they do. And then eventually they'll all figure it out and you move a certain way. That is, you follow the shepherd eventually. You follow a pendragon, you follow an alpha. So the real question a Christian man should always ask is not, is there authority? Am I an alpha? Should I be a man? Like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I get it. I get it. The brainwashing of the box, it really has done a lot, right? Right. Uh, um, you don't need to see his identification. Yeah, all that kind of thing. Uh, the fact is, if you're a man, you're a man, you reign. You're going to reign yourself. And if you don't, you're a boy. Okay. So and once you reign yourself and you run into another man, how do you decide which one gets to reign in that relationship? And the real question is, do you need to, do you have to be the one who's in charge right now? Or can you be not in charge for a while? Because you understand the Pendragon principle that is always from above to below four below further still. So if someone has to be over you for now, it's for your own good. And the best you can do is help him as best you can. Yeah recognizing that if he is also believing Christianity like you, he'll understand at a certain point that he has to submit to somebody else as well. And he'll do the best job he can to serve you in that regard. And for that sake, right? So this idea though, only happens when the reigning doesn't matter to you specifically. Like I don't have to be in charge to be in charge because if someone else is in charge of me, that means I'm going to turn around and I'm going to be in charge of something else. And maybe it's not even people. And maybe that's really awesome because I don't like talking to people. You know, so like it, it, it takes many kinds. The body has many members. What I want you Christian men who are itching at, like, let's grow up here. Let's be the future. Let's not let falling Western sieve stop pockets of real civilization from, in fact, growing the city of God in our midst, knowing that there's a distinction between the present and the future to come when he comes again, but also believing that Jesus doesn't want certain things to happen until then. And we can actually do a lot of that. I mean, they just did it for like 500 years, you know, and we were stopping for no good reason. So let's, let's like keep this thing going. This will work best when we all own our own kingdoms under our house, that a man's house is his castle and you're a king in it, right? You're a noble, you're a lord, whatever it is. If you're renting, you still own your body. It's given to you by Jesus Christ. It's not your own. You've been bought by him, but at the same time, you take ownership of that thing every single day and work toward recognizing that we bind together best as Christians when we understand authority and see there must be a voice among us. There must be a leader among us. Two, three, five, 30, a hundred. I mean, Moses had it scaled way up to a whole nation. I'm not expecting us to do that here on this show, but, but it is a fractal reality. It scales. This works on every single level from your business to your congregation to when two or three people get together. And that's why it's a first principle. That's why the fourth commandment is utterly, utterly genius. I mean, it's almost like 
God created the world first. And it's like, okay, this is how it works. <laughs> All right. So the scriptures are always the way it's best said. I like this one a lot. Oh, where was it? I was reading this week that I got this one. The scriptures are always the way that it's best said. Like the job of a preacher is to read the scriptures and then like say it better. <laughs> like, like literally that's what we're supposed to do. And I kind of think that the way that the need for reformation occurs is you'll get someone or a few or a generation that is really good at it, right? So here's the scripture. So what it says, and they're like, all right, so it means this. And like everyone living is like, oh, I get it, right? Because they said it better for the moment than scripture. But then what happens is that group gets really, really strong and tied to those ways of saying it. And they start to call that dogma. It's not that the dogma's wrong. It's that the dogma's not always the way the scripture speaks, right? And so it becomes its own thing. Now, the problem isn't even right there. The problem is like two and five generations later when you can speak the language of the dogma, but not the language of the scriptures. Yeah. And then you find out no one really believes the scriptures anymore. Uh, not those parts. <laughs> oh, read them. Just not, don't worry about those parts. Right? And... Well, you, you can maybe see how we got to the need for Martin Luther's Reformation or the need for one right now uh, uh, of a sorts. At the very least, of going back to the font, that is, back to the text of Scripture, to understand that no one really said it better than the Bible. And so especially as we watch a loop of like uh, uh, expositors of the Scripture, preachers of the Scripture that are clung to for good, but then become idols like like the snake on the pole over time, right? And the, their language, maybe it's still good for some, but it's not good for all. I need to go back to the Scriptures and pull that truth back out again. This is not to say you're going to find something new. I don't think you're going to find that at all. You're going to find that the language has changed because Babel is the decay of human language. And especially in a hyper-communicative language era like ours, we can't keep up with the new information. The change of pace of deconstruction is like out of this world. Now, if you will turn off the internet and read like the same 15 books that have been here for 150 years or 500 years, you'll find not much has changed at all. You know, just pick 15, read those for 10 years and live your life. You'll, you'll see a lot of people getting scared about stuff and you'll be like, oh, that probably could be bad, but we'll just wait. And then it really won't be that bad. And you'll have a really, not stagnant is the wrong word, but a stable worldview. So, so, you know, I'm advocating that and I'm advocating that you do that first by going back to scripture first. Not that there aren't other valuable confessors of the faith, the martyrs and the witnesses and all these things. Okay. Those are, those are huge. And if you're in a church that doesn't have any tie to any historical confessors, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> who are you listening to? Like, like the TV, the TV actually, probably. So like, I, again, uh, the Bible is the best way to say it. And so when we're in doubt, when we're struggling, when we're trying to find our way, the thing to do is to go back to the text. And that includes the translations, which themselves are flawed. They are flawed. Our translations are not without error. I would call them inspired for sure, but they're not without error because the language shifts. The language changes what a word used to mean no longer means. That's why you need all these new translations. Although, do you? Yes and no. You only really need the new translations if you stop learning the original languages. And so I will advocate to you, Christian out there, that this has been the, the worst kept, best kept secret of the last hundred years is that you could learn to read the Bible in New Testament Greek. You really could. You have a college education, like, like you could have done it. 
Like they could have forced you to do it. You would have had to know by the time you were 18, but they didn't. I don't know why. I don't know why I wasn't there. I'm here now. Okay. So like, let's, but seriously, we have all the capacity for like the vast majority of Christianity, if they want to, to learn to read the Bible in the original language, we could do that, right? I'm not going to do it by myself. I'm just challenging you. Like you could do it on your own right now. And it's not that this will be like, it'll solve all your problems, but it will do <laughs> is open up your English, English translation in ways you would have never believed. And you also start to see the fall apart of English currently. Just how it's just, it's just collapsing around us. Like we don't, words don't even mean things anymore. So we have, yes, your opinion. And off we go. Right. So the Bible's always best way to say stuff. And let's go back to it more often. The worst case scenario is indifference toward your life. Remembering yesterday is of far more primitive value than imagining tomorrow and uh, time and chance tend to conquer all. Time is chance and chance comes due. Ooh, that's some, that's some proverbial secular wisdom for you right there. We'll be right back with your questions and comments. If you got anything today, you want me to try to take up, uh, in the side as we go. And we've only got a, we got about seven questions. I don't know how long we'll go on that, but, um, if you do put any questions for me on the side today, Type in all caps, question first, and then, you know, go after that. That'll be easier to find. I'll be back in uh, just a moment with with a more, a more, a more, a more, a more. All right. So uh, if you're curious about the, the background at the moment, I rebuilt my studio into a podium that moves. I'm not going to do it right now, but I'm just it's just where I finished yesterday. I don't even know where it's going to be. There's there's another uh, kind of movement happening around here in the next couple of weeks. So I, if you care about the background, I'm assuming you don't, which is why I'm just like, I don't care anymore either. Um, if you care about the background, it'll be changing as I move around, which is kind of fun. Uh, so anyway, questions from you. Bible's answers if we can, and then my nonsense as well. We got TB asking this. Hello, Pastor Fisk. Would you, how would you respond to a pastor pushing the COVID vaccine from the pulpit? At my church, the pastor has included an appeal to get vaccinated in recent sermons, saying it is the Christian thing to do. I don't know what church you go to and what kind of standards they hold themselves to, but in my church body, we have a standard we say we hold ourselves to. We don't actually at all. It's a really big crock in terms of whether we care, but some guys really do a lot and other guys just don't. But it's pretty like wise stuff by and large, and there's a part of it called the formula of Concord, it, it means like the design to not fight with each other. Like, how do we not fight this This document? How do we not fight the formula of Concord? <laughs> it's funny how many people don't want to care what it says. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm not bitter at all. Oh, good. Amazon packages. Uh, uh, formula of Concord. Article 10. Uh, the 10th article is on something called Adiaphora which many laity in the Lutheran tradition know now because it was the way they like scuttled revivalism into the church in the 80s to destroy us, right? It's like, oh, music doesn't matter. Therefore, we can worship any way we want. And that's what happened, right? And it's across the board. I mean, different. some guys did it like with an honest heart, but like how many of us have honest hearts? Really? And pre-2020, really? Uh, if you, you just all your motivation was pure Christian the whole way, I'm sure, I'm sure. Anyhow, um, Adi Afora, they pulled it out because they wanted to, to divert the conversation from the sacrament and from understanding the reverence due worship of receiving the sacrament. They didn't want to talk about that. That like imply we've talked about the cross and the resurrection like with certainty, right? Instead, they wanted to like do what they wanted to do. And so they brought in this idea called adiaphora, which is a, a catch-all Latin term 
for things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in the Bible. So the Bible doesn't seem to say, do this, and it doesn't seem to say, don't do this. And so there's some room where, like, maybe sometimes you should do this, and maybe sometimes you shouldn't do this. And there's a lot of life that falls into this category. A vast amount of life falls into this category of Adiaphora. Do we need to call it Adiaphora? Things neither commanded nor forbidden. Okay, so why do I bring all this up? Well, first off, music technically would be Adiaphora, except for when you're saying that we have to change or die, which is what was said, by the way, the last 30 years. And that's why it was idolatry and why all those churches are going to really struggle and do stuff like this, which includes making more Adiaphora, not Adiaphora. Okay, so so the best case scenario for the vaccines in God's sight, right? Like biblically, I'm taking away all of my human knowledge right now, okay? The best case scenario for vaccines in God's sight is that they are adiaphora, which means that no one should ever compel anybody to do them. <laughs> the best case scenario, okay? Uh, now, um, I have all sorts of reasons to believe that because of the abortion and pharmaceutical industry and the way they've been in bed together with various three-letter organizations and the U.S. government for so total like global D-A-V-O-S Switzerland-style policies for over a generation, I happen to think the vaccines are a little bit more than just a random offer like what the color of the carpet might be at your church, right? Like those are really, really distinct things. And so at the very least, again, I'm going to say that any pastor who's from the pulpit saying get it or don't get it has overstepped their place pretty significantly and you know the lord is the judge of the teacher uh then again the bible says some very clear things trs i'm gonna be straight up right uh i'd stop going to that church now i don't care who they are where they are you said i have to you diabolical, wicked soul. I'm here to get fed Jesus, not to be told whether or not I should worship a global religion, which I happen to think he told you to do, right? So I was trying to be best construction before this point. I have a very different opinion of this stuff. Hear what I said. I have a very different opinion of the matter of the temporal conditions that we are in. And I happen to think that a Christian thing to do when it's an abortifacient-based vaccine is to not take it. And that a Christian thing to do when it's a experimental mess with your epigenetics called a vaccine, but that's not the same thing we've ever done before. We just mean something we hope works to keep you from getting sick. I don't think there's necessarily one Christian answer to that. Like if you want to be cap going into the tube to get turned into super person, you're a guinea pig. Like I don't think there's anything in the Bible says you can't be a human guinea pig for science. I, I don't know that there's anything that says that. I mean, if you got kids, maybe you don't want to do that though, right? If they rely on you. Um, or, but maybe that's why you're doing it because you think this is what's again, notice how, how rats nesty this is going to get immediately. That's why it's Adiaphora. And that's why preaching in the pulpit, unless you're dealing with the abortifacient side of it is like, is like from the devil. Uh, and really, and by the time this guy's, he's an agent of the state. You live in a fascist state. Do you know this? It's a regime. It's a regime of propaganda and mind control using magical devices. Come on, wake up. Hello. I'm really talking about this. And when your pastor has become an agent of that religion slash state, it's time to go find a church where they talk about the Bible instead. I, and I, I'm, a, I'm a Lutheran, so I think you should find a Lutheran church because I think the sacraments matter a lot. Like, like they're everything. But if your pastor is going to be an agent of the state, just funneling information from the current propaganda regime. And by state, I don't necessarily mean U.S. government. <laughs> I just mean the, the, the robber barons that are running all this stuff right now, 
right? Uh, what? Yeah, brief history power two white guys. Uh, I don't. Once your pastor has decided to be an agent of the state, I don't know you get him back. And this is what they should have. We should have learned from the Nazis. Not all pastors in the German Christian movement were Nazis, but the German Christian movement was a Nazi movement. And it, it just, people look back at, why did the pastors do more? Why didn't the churches do more? They, they took over the churches first. <laughs> I mean, they're not dumb. I mean, they are, but it's they. Who's they? Remember, they is not any humans. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, people. Come on, wake up. Again, wake up. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. They took over the churches first. And if your pastor is becoming an agent of the state, telling you you must do adiaphora for the sake of Christianity, only the devil says that. And even if this man's a firm believer in Christ and we'll see him on judgment day when he repents and rejoices, it's all been forgiven for the good anyway, which I'm fine with. They know not what they do. You should still leave the church. Tell him why. Don't tell him it's because of the vaccines. Tell him I'm concerned that you're taking things that are adiaphora into the pulpit. If he's a Lutheran, say that. You're preaching offer as if it's commanded. And my conscience is stricken. And Romans 16 says, I have to leave now. I don't want to leave. This is my church. Why are you doing this? Will you repent? Will you stop preaching like this? Maybe he'll listen. Maybe he'll listen. Oh, but he might be mad at you if you said that, right? This is our problem, men. We can't disagree with each other. It's, it's kind of amazing. So, oh, okay, all right. Is it the Christian thing to do? No. Look, that argument is based on this idea that we can prevent death. I'll wait for someone to tell me it's based on a different idea. You can, it'll take a while to type and stuff I know, but I, you're not going to come up. We actually think we can prevent death. And so the Christian thing to do is prevent death. Now, there's a place where charity for your neighbor's body, protect and serve. Like, indeed, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto him good things. But I'm talking, I'm talking, we're on like a philosophical, epistemological, where do I stand with my main ideas? And our first idea is we can prevent death. And that's not a Christian idea. Jesus hates that idea. You know what Jesus has said? He said, he's going to kill you. Nobody else gets to kill you. Only Jesus. He might use somebody else's hands. Yeah, he might use a virus. But only Jesus is going to kill you. He's going to do it when he wants to. It doesn't mean you should go drink, smoke, party, and just do whatever you want. You should live your life as best you can. But Jesus is going to be the one in charge of your death. And so if the Christian thing to do is to stop death, we're trying to fight Jesus a little bit. Now, I'm being extreme because the argument is extreme. There is something to be said for Christians preserving the community around them. But they should never do so in the belief that we will stop death. We just have to start there. Okay, that's not our goal. Our goal is not to stop death. Our goal is to have people find the consolation of the truth in the midst of their present sufferings. And if we alleviate present sufferings, so be it. I mean, that's great, right? We're not trying to prevent death. And now watch this. We're trying to prevent death from an invisible, <laughs> an invisible monster that has been tracked kind of by some in many different places differently. So no one really knows what's going on. And a lot of it looks like a fairy tale. Sorry, that's my opinion. So the Christian thing to do is to believe a fairy tale and then like go and do things that may or may not be harmful to me and the society as a result of that. That's where I'm coming from here, sir, if you're watching. Um, there's no proof. 
there are people who die from COVID. There are people who die from the flu. There are people who die from car accidents, heart attacks. I mean, it's pretty common. The numbers are not what the religion would want you to believe they are. <laughs> Certainly not the pressure. Uh, now, if you're one of those states where you're not feeling the pressure, God bless you. I'm um, still in Illinois. I uh, wore that mask three times yesterday when I had to go out three times to build this thing. And anyway, mask on, mask off, mask on, mask off, mask on, mask off. Do you know this one? Do you know wax on, wax off? Um, okay. So anyway, I guess that's what I would say. I would say to you, sir, um, you should have that conversation with him and be very clear that uh, a, you know, a church in which you are being compelled to do things which the scripture neither commands nor forbids is a church with the pastor's overstepped his bounds and has become a pope effectively is why we left Rome is because doing this should not be allowed in the congregation. Right. Oh, Jules comes back at you with, Oh, this one's kind of fun. Uh, can you please explain second Samuel 24 verses one, 10 and 17. And then how first Chronicles 21, one interacts with that. Excuse me. So, it's been a while since I did this. Will this work? That did not work. I'm going to go here. And then I'm going to go here. There we go. This is nice. Um, and then I'll just go ahead and do this and this. And now we're ready to go. Does that work? Where are we? Hello, everybody. This is great TV. Oh, don't move that piece. Can I see? There we go. All right. So this is really fascinating. This is about David's census. So the commentators that I read think that this happened near the end of David's lifetime. Um, it's a story you may or may not remember from Sunday school, uh, if you even went to Sunday school or had Sunday school, and if you did, if they even taught the Bible. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of those back-edge stories, though, that probably struck you as confusing when you first ran into it. Uh, so David, the man of God, he's beaten Goliath, you know, and all this great stuff. Oh, Bathsheba, that was rough. But no, he's, he's now king, and he's got peace on all sides and and he and he decides to like take a census of the people and god gets really upset about this and like kills a lot of people as a result of it like again jesus pre-incarnate kills a lot of people because david counted them and like this is one of those places where the the libs of the last generation in 30 uh were like how could the God of the Old Testament be so cruel as to cut short these real lives? And you're like, wait, 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 wait. You think you're so important. <laughs> you think your life is so... Do you realize the life of the world to come is like a hundredfold this? Like, you, you, you don't understand. Like, if those people were Christians, they were glad to go. Like, like you, who are you? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the last hundred years of commentary. I mean, not, not every single one, but like, by and large, the zeitgeist. Oh, my. You know, you're trying to defend this mean Old Testament God when, in fact, it, those 70,000 might have all been like, thank God we get to go home now. So, I mean, seriously. So, so it's weird in that way, right? And there's a really Christian answer in that way. Uh, but it's also maybe there, there's more going on under the surface uh, that we can pull out and tease out here, especially what you point out. Uh, I forgot your name already, but, you know, uh, what our viewer pointed out is... Uh, I'll make sure I can get to the other text too. Yeah. Uh, whatever you pointed out is that not only is this text here in, in second Samuel, but it's in second Chronicles and her first Chronicles. Oh, I'll get to that. The overlap between Kings Chronicles and Samuel is its own complete bag of like wormy noodles and stuff. Um, 
when were they written, by whom, unto what end. They mention other books of history that we no longer have. How should we understand them and receive them? And again, when you run into the 18th century Germanic-inspired liberal stuff, you end up kind of rejecting a lot of them. Uh, that, that's where they go, is that most of it's just kind of bad history and commentary from hundreds of years later that didn't really matter, just shows the evolution of the priestly class, which there definitely was an evolution of the priestly class. I mean, no question about that, but more of a financial evolution than anything. Um, but to, to assume then that the Bible is not the best way to say it and that the scriptures haven't been inspired and given without error for our reading, marking, learning, inwardly digesting, right? Uh, exhortation in, in righteousness, repentance, and all these things, um, I think that's pretty foolish. So rather than assume it's all wrong and written by some idiots who just happen to be maybe floating along in some big, what, spirit juju of universalism, um, I think maybe instead his ways are not our ways. And there's some just fascinating pondering we can do out of this. So, so the first thing that strikes me is that chapter 24 of second Samuel verse one says this again, the anger of the Lord, that's Jesus was aroused against Israel and he moved David against them to say, go and number Israel and Judah. So here we find out that the reason David takes the census for which God will punish him and a lot of people is because God moved him to do it. That doesn't seem fair and stuff, right? Like, wait, wait, where's my free will now? Okay, so I'm not a five-point Calvinist. I'll make that very clear right now. What I believe is in the mystery of transcendence and that God's way bigger than our poor little pea-scrap brains can handle. But I know this, nothing's outside of his control and my will's still very much in play. <laughs> and a problem at that. Okay. So what I believe here is very clearly happened is that God, big picture, sees the whole thing. God, big picture, cares for David. God, big picture, cares for Israel. God, big picture, cares for you and me and hearing this text. And God sends Satan to tempt David and David of his own selfish volition, whatever that means, in fact, chooses wickedness for which God punishes him in Israel as, again, one more means of him showing his mercy and not destroy him, but causing repentance instead. Ah! Now, where did I get that double part? That's the fun part of Second Chronicles. Excuse me, it's First Chronicles. First Chronicles 21, where the same story begins. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Uh, but didn't it just say it was God? I mean, do I sound like Wolf Miller? <laughs> didn't it just say it was God? Yeah, it was God in this text, and now it's Satan in this text. Golly. Well, whatever like priestly class was doing it back then, they seemed kind of confused. They seemed to have thought God's the devil. Maybe that is the secret code. Oh my goodness. We all must repent right now of Christianity. This text proves God is the devil. No, no, no. Okay, let's back it up here. What's going on? I said it before. Yahweh, the Lord, Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He sees all, he knows all, he moves all. He's in control. He also has created us as images of him that is with a certain level of creative cognitive emotional ability we can argue all about whether it's reason or not it's not really reason it's so much more than that is that we literally are made to reflect and refract god from eternity into the creation like we're his mediator right and now yeah jesus okay and now we're part of jesus yes yeah, pretty sweet that guy with that plan making it come to pass angry at the people of Israel already for their disbelief in something. Now, this is important too. Why is he angry? What's happened before this? The text right before it doesn't really help you much. But if you go back long enough, you see at least two things. You see two rebellions. 
You see a rebellion of Absalom and a rebellion of some other guy whose name I've not got off the top of my head right now. Both of these rebellions are what David refused to do to Saul. That is to throw down the anointed king. Both of these rebellions attempt to throw down the anointed king. The anointed king who also seems to have a certain, I don't know, arrogance, exaltation about his own abilities in some way, believing firmly that the, the greatness is in fact from him and not, not just from God. Although remember, it's from God through him, right? David was a man, he lived the life, uh, but it was from God through him. So God needing to turn the whole nation away from their rejection of the king so that they will receive Solomon, right? Uh, and uh, also God needing to bring David into the grave in full faith, he sends a messenger of Satan, right? As Paul talks about the thorn of the flesh. And here, I mean, Satan himself, uh, in one way, David's heart is aroused to a wickedness, which he's going to realize right away, by the way. So let's, let's look at the text here. He, he sees his wickedness very quickly. Uh, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, which has talked about that. He moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So like this all is a problem now. And by the way, you can find information about how uh, this is because of certain atonement laws for the army. And um, that's the problem is they try to apply that Levitical code to the whole nation. And that's that's a bit of a stretch. So that's why I'm not talking about that. If you're like, but what about this? It's because I don't think it's valid. Um, you know, we, we can debate it. Uh, so Joab says to the king, now this is interesting though. So the, the lead warrior, right? The great mighty man, Joab, uh, he says to the king, now may Jesus Christ, your God, add to the people a hundred times more than they are, and may the eyes of my Lord see it. But why does my Lord, the king, desire such a thing? So he doesn't want David to do this for some way. He says, look, you've got all you need. Why do you have to count it? <laughs> why do you have to hold it? Why do you have to grab it? Can you kind of see where the spirituality of this thing is? So nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab, like he didn't listen, right? Um, didn't listen to his advisor. And the cap against the captains of the army, therefore Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to the count to count the people of Israel, and they crossed the Jordan, camped at Aror. Alright, so da da da. They do it, they do it, they do it, they do it, they do it. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So he knows somehow that what he has done is uh, is against Torah. And remember, David's entire life is about Torah. This is the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, and you could probably throw in there, not probably, you're going to throw in there, you know, Judges and Ruth should have been written, right? So he's going to have access to these, but Torah is his, his prayer night and day. If you haven't ever studied Psalm 119, I highly recommend you take eight verses a day and just make it your monthly prayer, <laughs> you know, just, 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 just every day switch over and you'll understand a little bit of David's hunger for Torah. So he knows what he did wrong, even though the text doesn't really clarify for us what rule, what law he broke, he, know, he, he knows he didn't trust Jesus. He didn't trust his God to be king. He thought by doing this, he would extend his own powers, right? Um, wow, it's an easy enough temptation, I think. So he says, I've sinned greatly uh, in what I've done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. So he prays to God, and uh, God sends the prophet Gad to him. Uh, who is David's like personal prophet. That's nice. Uh, Go and tell David, thus says Jesus, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do unto you. So he's kind of, this is amazing. It's, it's, and, and this is where it's like, it's not fair, but no, 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 no. This is how it works, man. Like you're the clay. He's the potter and he's saving you. There's no, it's not fair in this thing. <laughs> there is only that he determines your salvation through and in spite of your wickedness. So every time you would think he's setting you up, no, no, no. 
Well, I mean, yes, but for fresh waters, right? For green pastures and for redemption, not, not the other way around. So, so here is this ending of the lives of certain individuals. It's going to happen. Ending of the lives of certain individuals as a result of a sin of the king. This happens in history all the time. Uh, and it's going to happen very specifically so that this people will not take uh, pride in themselves. Not, especially not in their numbers. You ever wonder? I'm, I, oh, I should just mention that right now. Dear heavens, hold on. I, I need. I need. I need. I need five seconds for that one. I gotta say, I'm kind of tired of counting numbers at church. I'm just kind of tired of it. Um, we, we've always been doing it since I came into the ministry, and all the way through is like, how many? 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 Like you can see how many. Generally, why? Why do we? I mean. There's a reason to take names. And the reason to take names is to track and see if people fall off because they really do expect you to go find them if they stop coming and they're mad at you for them not coming, which is, there was a time when that maybe made sense in this current chaos. I, I, it's really hard to keep track of everybody, but all the same. So there's a reason to like to write down names and then try to track whether people have been missing and drifting and all this kind of stuff. And the magical tools of the modern world for ministry that you never knew you had anxiety for before. Um, <laughs> why are we counting? Why are we counting? Why does it matter how many people came to church? Oh, because we got to keep the money going. <laughs> Who are we worshiping again? <laughs> I know, I know. Ah, so, so dad, dad came to David and told him, you're going to get punishment. You're going to get punishment because you think it's about you. So here's your option. You got three options for punishment. Which one do you wish? Shall seven years of famine come on you to hinder your land? Shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue or shall there be three days plague? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. Now, I think David's answer is a good one. It's possible that it's not, though. I can conceive of a way in which it's not. But David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of Jesus, for his mercies are great. That's why it's good. Uh, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. And so... I think he's referring to himself and his own decision. And if that's the case, I mean, this is utter and uh, adept Solomonic genius, right? That he knows who God is more than he knows who he is. And so he can go sit and spend three days trying to figure out which way to trick God into doing the least damage to whatever David wants to do the least damage to. Or he can realize God's God and has a really good plan. He's like, Jesus, you make the decision because it's going to hurt me more than anybody else. <laughs> but you're going to bring me through it, right? And uh, in, so there's something, I think, beautiful in this. Now, the only way in which I can say that this might go the other way, so I can conceive of a way in which this is kind of a bad answer, is, you know, remember how, like, um, when uh, Isaiah meets Ahaz by the uh, the the washer's road, uh, whatever it's called, and you should, uh, ask for a sign, let it be as high as heaven or earth. You know, well, I will not test the Lord. I'll give you a sign, Emmanuel. You know, so... Here he is, you know, give me an answer. And David gave it kind of goes the Ahaz route a little bit here, right? But no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think David is doing this in faith. Um, David is doing this in faith. What I wonder though, is that in faith, if he had answered, if God might not have blessed him all the more for simply saying, you know, do this one. Um, you know, I was thinking about that as I read it, like, you know, could you be more merciful by letting your troops die? They're prepared for it. You know, you got a system set up to deal with it. If you let all the people die a plague, like it's just kind of random, right? But uh, so I don't, I don't want to second guess him. What he does is he realizes that he can't outthink God, which is what he was trying to do before. And so it's, I, it sh I think it should be taken as a, a super positive here uh, that 
this is the prayer we are to have. Like right now, right now, like, oh my goodness, what's happening to the world? Should I become a prepper? Probably. Should I become a prepper? Not like that. Right? Like, so, so what, <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? Um, pray this prayer. Realize you've fallen into the hands of God from the beginning. And that if he indeed has something for you to do right now, I mean, I don't mean to sound like a mystic, but I'm going to. He's just going to prepare it for you and lay it right out in front of you. And you're going to walk one step at a time. Stop trying to control 2022. We're in 2025 already anyway, for pity's sakes. So, so uh, I think I've kind of helped here. You wanted to get to, oh, we want to get down a couple more verses. Um, so the Lord sent plague. So this is the Lord's mercies. He sends the plague from Dan to Beersheba. Dan, where they're like, I was reading Judges recently, uh, you know, what's going on in Dan and even Christianity at a certain point, like even now, like it, Dan was so bad, like they were off forever, <laughs> just being evil. Um, so, but they get it too. From, from Dan to Beersheba, 70, 000, well, maybe that's who turned out good. Like a bunch of people that were like not Christians died and the kingdom was shrunk to a place where only the faithful remained. I mean, you hear what I'm saying? Like the Lord Jesus does it that way from on high. He doesn't have us kill them. He kills them. And he really does to open the way. He also kills those he loves in order to send them home and to uh, water the church with the blood of the saints, right? And he also sends those he loves into homes and quiet lives and communities wherein they wait for his return because we know that the future of this faith rests on passing it forward to next generations, not on personally converting the entire world. We convert the entire world two or three or five at a time when we convert downward two or three or seven at a time. Uh, and they go hand in hand, finger glove, all this kind of thing. So uh, Jesus sent a plague. And if you're barren, I'm, then you are one of those who gets to carry a special burden. So don't, uh, you can't say it perfectly, right? I just can't say it well enough. Anyway, um, so Jesus sent a, a plague upon Israel from the morning uh, till the point of time. 70,000 men die. When the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it. But that's coming. <laughs> Jesus relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, that's Satan, I think, by the way, too. Um, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. The angel of Jesus Christ was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Now, maybe not. So, And the tie-in here with when is the devil doing what? Who is the angel of the Lord? You have to kind of come with some big, obvious things that just stay the truth and then let the nuance of the storyteller be the nuance of the storyteller. So the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, without a body. He shows up, he's God, it does all sorts of stuff. Satan often functions as a mediator for the angel of the Lord. He does things at Jesus Christ's bidding. So that also is going on in this. When the fiery angels of heaven are ransacking the, the troops of Assyria, I mean, who is that? Well, it's whoever God sent. <laughs> we don't know, right? Um, and so uh, that entire realm of the unseen uh, is what we are supposed to not see. And there's a very unhealthy desire to understand and know it. And I would contest to you that if you want to begin studying defense against the dark arts, yeah, you hear me? And why do we have to go to Harry and not just use what the Bible says? You want to start studying spiritual warfare and the powers and principalities of the present age? Just know this. You fight them by not listening to them. You don't learn about them. You learn about Christ. You don't go more to what they do and understand what they're about. You learn what Christ is about and you'll be able to see enough to discern from that point on. Yeah. So, so in this then, who is this angel that stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem? I mean, it is a, what do you call that? A, a synecdoche apart for the whole, um, you know, the Lord is behind it. You cannot separate him from this work. Uh, is it, anyway, I'm not going to try to, to, to splice that hair that way. I think you understand what I'm saying. So, uh, 
where this happens though, where the destruction starts, stops, can you imagine the plagues like running? It makes me think of World of Warcraft days. The plagues like coming forward and it's just all this way and the angels bringing all these death, but it's like over a couple of days, right? Because he's got to buy a thing and do a bunch of stuff, maybe in a couple of months. It was going to be three days, three days, whatever it said it before. However, like that to move fast, by the way, to buy these fields and things. I can't imagine that. So anyway, um, so he's by the, the hand of the Jebusite. David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me, against my father's house. This is beautiful, right? So here's where, like, maybe that earlier prayer was like, Dude, yeah, you should have taken it on yourself, right? Uh, maybe you could have just said, you know, me instead at the beginning. Uh, but then again, the Lord's will was done. So all of this was to bring David to a greater understanding of his faith that we might have this prayer now. And I'm going to let... It stand that those who died then, they deserved it fully, just like the day that I die. I mean, I deserved it fully. And so when the Lord decides to cut the thread and snap off the cord and put an end to this veil of tears, I mean, why why is this something we're all so afraid of? Ah, that, that's where the the flies in the ointment, the mud's in the water. Oh my goodness, does it smell? Ooh, ooh what's that smell in Christianity these days? So um, I think this has uh, probably been enough on this question for the moment. That's the right button. And then that's the right button. So, and hopefully, uh, yeah, we got, we got some of it going on there. You're dealing with God's transcendence. Whoa. Why? Oh, I know why this like this. Hold on. I am such an obsessive person. There we go. Uh, you're dealing with God's transcendence. You're dealing with his being bigger than we are. And modern dogmatics, Western modern dogmatics, has struggled with this because what we keep trying to do is dogmatize the idea of God, which is to make an idol out of the idea of God rather than to believe in God. And it's not that we aren't given to confess, but but when you say, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the great power of that confession is you're, you're believing something that you can't understand. His ways are not your ways. And and you're being, what, pressured and packaged back underneath him as good news. Where the rest of this age can only see that all-powerfulness of him as destructive. You now are being able to see that destruction through the cross of Jesus, which is not the end but the beginning of something new that in fact starts now. Which again is believing that this age, yeah, it feels like crap, but it's going to be over soon and you're ninja warriors of truth in the midst of a zombie apocalypse. So again, wake up, (laughs) wake up, dude, this has been awesome and it's not even over yet, but I'm going to take a three minute break. I will be right back. He is risen. You are paid for. You are mortal now and he won't be long anyway. So you definitely want to just like wait for Jesus. Yeah. So. I've been tracking some of that conversation about uh, preaching and vaccines in the comments. Um, Yeah, it's about not introducing legalizations of extra biblical commands in the community and recognizing that the growth of the Christian heart will sometimes mean people do come to different conclusions about these things. The danger is when you see that we're coming to different conclusions as Christians about these things, And we're not divided about anything else. And then you divide over this, right? Now you divided the church over something that. Which is where, like as a pastor locally, I just said what I think about vaccines publicly. Okay. So I just said that, right? I think it's really bad. It's really bad. That's my opinion. Yeah. It's really bad. Like dangerous, super dangerous. 
Um, and even if nothing bad goes wrong, like there's something really unhealthy about what's going on <laughs> uh, spiritually, zeitgeist twice. My congregation's mostly vaccinated, I think. I mean, I, there's some there's some people like me who are like, nah, I'm not going to do it. But yeah, it's probably 80%, 70%. And and mostly the Pfizer, thankfully, you know, not, the, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, not the Johnson & Johnson. Um, though we had a couple got that before I could get the announcement out about how that one was, you know, tinkered with for the abortion stuff. So like, it, it is what it is. We got to live with each other as we make these different decisions. But that's where the guys in the pulpit telling you you have to do it, like that ain't cool. You're actually kind of beating up on the minority in a lot of places. That ain't cool at all, right? And then, so walking that line in the middle is, is Jesus here for everybody? Is Jesus here for everybody who wants to repent of their sins? Okay, well, let's let's use the Bible's versions of those, what sins are. Let's repent of these, okay? And preventing uh, preventing high, semi-hygiene-related immunodeath, that just, that just isn't in it. It's just not our religion at all. So um, Rachel says this, do I have recently come upon a new talent for poetry. This means like, I think you're, you're writing poetry, right? You enjoy writing poetry and, and many are inherently Christian. So you're writing Christian poetry. Do I know of a platform of writing spaces for Christian poetry in the LC, LCMS? No, I do not. I do not. Can I tell you a, a dirty, dark little secret? <laughs> My undergraduate degree is in creative writing with an emphasis on poetry. That's how I got through people. Yeah, I shouldn't even be here. I cheated the whole way. No, <laughs> I didn't cheat. I had some Shakespeare classes and a California lit class. It was, it was a, you know, three and 400 level lit classes, but I also had a lot of, um, uh, what do you call them? Workshops and, and a lot of writing. I really enjoyed my writing degree at Sonoma State University. I don't know that I'd recommend Sonoma State to anybody. I kind of wish I'd gone to San Diego State while I had the chance. But anyway, uh, that's, that's all another lifetime ago. I was preserved, I don't doubt, from my own idiocy uh, by the path that the Lord had me walk. In any case fancy myself a poet so you you ask me a question after my own heart yes and uh, no there's no i mean concordia publishing house exists as a writing space for christians in the lcms and they do from time to time do work with new hymnody and so if you're into um hymnic style poetry uh they from time to time have ways that you can get involved it's not really what anyone's about really right it's not something anyone's after no one's after your poetry no one's after my poetry poetry's dead you know uh it, it is been dead unless you're a rapper right and then um now like what 20 percent of you since since the listeners to brief history of power are some of the most intelligent people in the world and many of them also will watch this show that means you're all like but i read dickens on friday nights he has poems yes indeed uh i'm like yes but okay so we're not normal if you do that we are not normal we are weird people okay Poetry, in terms of finding a network of like a large social uh, org or, or poll of people that want to hear your very carefully crafted words that would require more than a quick read. In fact, probably would require sitting and pondering those words for 15 to 30 minutes, even though it's only 15 words. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. And, and it's not that that's good. In fact, I think that's quite bad. Much of my trajectory in life is trying to make time for that in my life, right? Uh, but... Most people don't. And so where you would share, hard to find. Now, I will say this. Uh, in the Mad Christian Discord, which you can find by getting your Discord app, wherever your apps are gotten, and, and finding us the chill once you're in there, and then send an invitation request and joining, there is a channel we have in there devoted to sharing Christian art. And rather than just creating a channel for poetry, I would recommend coming and joining that channel there. It might inspire others to get involved. I might show up and drop my own if I know that that's going on. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. We could create one. I don't know of one. I, I do know there was somebody 
in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, <laughs> put on a writer's workshop like 15 years ago somewhere. Oh, and then um, someone else did one more recently. Oh, hold on, hold on. Katie, Katie Sherman was doing one recently. Look for Katie Sherman. Uh, Google Katie uh, Sherman, and I can't spell that right, but she should show up. House of Living Stones is the three books she's worked on. I know she's got like a network of writing encouragement going on. Um, and uh, uh, so check out her name and see, you know, send her an email. I'm sure she's got a way to get a hold of, read her books. Man, her three stories, House of Living Stones about life in a Christian congregation. Well, if you haven't been in a Lutheran church and you're going to visit one, these will these will key in. <laughs> these will key in a lot. Uh, so, oh, <laughs> that's why they're weird. Um, it's we're really uh, we're irascibly cuddly people. Oh look, more Amazon packages. Turn off announcements, Fisk. So yeah, do I know of a platform for it? No, we can start one definitely in the Mad Christian Discord, and I'd be happy to share some there. I just I gave up on poetry a long time ago because no one's got time for it. Why spend the time on it? I, I had hymns I was writing. Like, there's no path for those getting used. Really? Not really. I mean, I could be one of those guys who's putting his own hymns in his bullets and all, you know, every third week and like, hey guys, sing a new hymn. But I, I'd rather put the energy into something that's going to get used. Now, in that regard, though, one of the things Dr. Kuntz has said, Rachel, uh, recently is don't write for today, write for some time 150 years from now. So if you want to write poetry, I mean, Emily, uh, is it Dickinson? Most famous female poet pre-1800s, pre-1900s? I think. Emily Dickinson? I think that's who it was. Um, it's not Bronte. Um, it's been a long time since that lit degree. The most famous female poet that there is or was, um, she was unknown until she was dead and all of her poems were in a shoebox in her closet. And she's, uh, at least if you study lit, you're going to study her. Emily Dickinson. I think that's who it is. So like the, the real thing about poetry is that it really isn't for anybody else unless they really want it. Uh, you're writing the poem to express something for your own heart and mind. And I would say that some of what I've talked about with smart noting and analog and paper being more creative uh, than digital work. Like there's something going on in the act of poetry writing. Also in the act of poetry reading and riddle discerning is what you're dealing with there. The kind of like riddles. Um, there's something going on there that's like a, a next level thinking that ties the brain together, creates emotional bonds and things. Um, uh, emotional wisdom is pulled into this. Now, does that mean that you're always going to be wise because <laughs> you write poetry or read poetry? No, 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 no. Um, but that's the muscle that wisdom uses, right? And so then by using it on wise things, you'll become wiser. If you study foolishness with great uh, adeptness, you'll become a great fool, I think. So, you know, uh, there, there's a limit there. But writing poetry should be something that I would encourage you just to do. If you found you like doing it, just do it and don't even share it <laughs> unless you find somewhere where that's really cool and safe to do. And again, the Med Christian Discord would be a place to do that. But my mine, I mean, here, I, where is it? I haven't written much for a while because it's just, I don't know what to do with it, you know, but every once in a while it comes out. Rise awake, ye lion-hearted, rise, ye men of Christendom. Where hath all your nerve departed? How this fear of kingdom come? Forget you, Christ hath gone before, lives and reigns, so shall secure your joy to die and raise to quell by faith all wretched hosts of hell. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not right, quite ready to go either into stand-up comedy or gangster rap. So, like, until either of those becomes the present need of my ministry. <laughs> yeah, I, it, but, and I say this as one who wishes. We live in the wrong age, Rachel. Um, Poetry's dead. 
they killed it. The language is dead. They killed it. We need a new language. Start writing poetry in Greek. Ooh. Greek haiku about Jesus. I don't know. That's just silly. Um, write what you find beautiful and don't worry about sharing it. The Lord will share it, I think, is my answer there. If it, He will share it. If it's meant to be more than what you see. And sometimes it's really just for you. Sometimes it's really just for you to look at and, and see. Um, <laughs> maybe I can show you guys that later. So I did something like that this week. Um, so uh, Paradoxically Sweet says this. Uh, what can you do when you are doubting? <laughs> Nothing. Um, but God can. And you are now from now on to believe that when you are doubting and you know you can do nothing, that God can and will and already has. And so even though it feels like you don't believe and you're doubting, that's a lie. And you, in fact, believe, right? So it's not saying just believe because that's like an exhortation. That's like you saying, I have to do something. I need to try harder. Like, like that's crap. <laughs> it's not Jesus, right? What Jesus says is, oh, you think you're doubting. Hey, hey, check it out. Watch me rise from the dead in your face. Okay, stop doubting now. I got you. You have to tell yourself from now on you're baptized and you're not allowed to not believe. And when you don't not believe or you do not believe, it doesn't count. You're going to believe later again and that'll be okay because I'm Jesus and I got you. You're baptized. Come, eat, come, more food, right? Uh, more learning, more truth. Um, that's so different to just believe he's for you and not against you. I did just say just believe. <laughs> to remember that it is written that he is for you and not against you is to believe. Even though it doesn't feel like you're like, just believe in the heart because you want to have like this, like, yes, I'm strong. And it's not that. It's not that. It's more like, oh, he's strong. That's right. Oh, man, I'm weak. It's more like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, the Book of Mormon song, you know, you made, you made uh, Frisbee laugh, but I, I don't know the reference. I know that it was a show. Hamilton was a show too. I don't, it's like where people do history now or something uh, is, is, New York brought is Broadway still even open? Of course, I don't care. Honest, I mean, I do. I care about all the jobs and the people whose lives are connected to it, and the poor people in the city whose lives are really connected to it. I don't much care about Broadway. Uh, of course, you should repent. No, I should not. Wait, wait, wait. That would be called an illegitimate totality transfer. Let's not do that. You're talking about saying just believe that you should repent. You're talking about okay. So of course you should repent of your doubt, right? When you have it. But how do you go from doubt to belief as you were previously? You don't. Jesus has promises. Those promises bring you back. So what I would do instead of worrying about what you're going to do when you're not believing, when you're doubting, when you're in a moment of panic, whatever, right? Instead of trying to have something to do at that moment, take the moments where you're like in your right faith, right? You're like, I got my faith now. And put in place things to remind you of your faith when you're in doubt. You see what I did there? Like, it's really cool. Like, we'll put something on the wall there, the wall there, the floor, the sea, everywhere I look, I got Jesus, right? I mean, that's maybe too much. <laughs> this is the value of learning to memorize uh, Christianity, right? Learn to memorize the Bible uh, and to say things out loud. So one of the things I am working on doing is in moments of doubt, being able to say, which I will not translate for you since we're not actually in church. Um, but I've been working on trying to say that as like a, a mental hiccup or a mental, not even hiccup, first domino, knock new trail out and build a pattern upon it. Uh, and uh, I don't know how well that's working, but I work on it. Not so much. Why, why do I not know how well it's working? Because it's not happened a lot in the midst of the moments where I feel like I need it. Um, and yet in the moments when I'm not in the fight, I'm 
returning to that phrase repeatedly and more often as a way of remembering, well, my faith, right? It's a shorthand for me to remember my faith. Um, I got more than one. Uh, writing things down that you believe, leaving them on your desk, putting Bible passages on, you know, stickers, put them places. It, it, the, the specific doesn't matter, right? The idea is that when you're in doubt, you're not going to be able to rely on yourself for salvation. And so salvation must come from outside of you. And if you are so foolish as in your moments of faith to not realize this will happen in your life from time to time and not put anything in your life to call you back, this is, it means you put up idols instead, basically. <laughs> you know, uh, when is a picture on the wall an idol? Well, when it's there instead of Jesus. <laughs> you know, does, does every picture have to be Jesus? No, um, but you don't have any, right? I mean, no, no crucifixes, right? Like, so where is your comfort coming from and how much are you thinking you have the power to rely on yourself as opposed to believing what God has said, which is that you're dead in your trespasses and sins and yet you're not anymore. And so walk as those who have the light. That means believing that the light's not from inside of you and putting more of the light that you know you can put out where you're going to find it when you need it. Yeah, that'd be my answer. My answer. Oh uh, yeah, repentance. Why not? I mean, just go pray a psalm too. It's the hardest thing to do. Psalter's hard to pray. You, you never want to go. Maybe you do. You're special. I never want to go. Even when I know, I'm like, as soon as I get there, it's going to feel so good. As soon as I start, it's going to feel better. And I, but I won't do it. I'm like, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it. I got to do this thing first. It's amazing. It's amazing how, how fleshly the lie about not praying the Psalter is, especially when you're in a moment of agony or confusion or, you know, doubting unto disbelief. Um, like, <laughs> Just go start reading Psalm 72, 27. Start with 27. Uh, 72 is a lot of fun. Uh, just go, go to 27. Just read it. Every time you doubt, just 27. You, whoever, I threw your picture away, so I don't know your name anymore. I mean it. 27. Next time you feel it, open. Put a, put a marker there, Psalm 27, okay? And that will call you back. And hopefully everything else I just said about putting words in places to call you back will be something that you also take to heart. Ooh, it's about building heart. Jedi Knight. This one was different, Jedi. I, I love your, your digging. You dig some funny stuff up. Um, I'm not sure you want to do with this one at all, but we'll, we'll have some fun. All right. Uh, we'll have some fun after I get... I moved all this around again. A drink of water. Ah, that was so good. Okay. I'm in the wrong place. There we go. Jedi says this. Uh, a recent meme was posting grainy photos of the cameras recording Biden's speech. And claiming they were demons. The grainy photos? like So is it just grainy photos? Or is it while Biden's talking, there's grainy things like the Loch Ness Monster, the Loch Ness Monster behind him? Um, you kept asking, where's the lie? Well, that's just it. I mean, all right. So my story begins, I saw on the internet dot, dot, dot. And yeah, the question is, where's the lie? I mean, hi, you're watching me on the internet. There's a lie probably somewhere on the screen. I, I don't doubt it. I'm sure I have not been perfectly clear. I'm sure I've said things that are confusing, if not at times wrong. So to open up this box of info and just let it pour truth into you. Um, yeah, where are the demons? That's a really good question. Since most of what demons do to attack is not seances. Those happen. Those happen. But most of what they do to attack is just lie. And they do that from the seances into people who go out and just are normal people who believe the things the demons say and lie in ignorance about the things, but they say it with such conviction that you think it's the truth, right? And then that's, that's again, the devil's assault on the church is that these lies, these twistings of the truth, these breakings of the truth over time, 
eat away at foundations of groups of people that once believed these things. And once those foundations are gone, the system itself, the faith itself, it cannot endure. And the institutions, like all human institutions in greed, just eat themselves eventually. It's, it's all they ever do. So where's the lie in this particular one, though, Jedi? I don't know. I'm, I'm missing something there. Um, if you're concerned that that uh, dear old dear old Grandpa Joe, um, why didn't Trump use a name for him? That makes me really, why, what on earth? Anyway, um, forgetful Joe, they didn't even do nothing, nothing, right? Did he have one? Anyway, a recent meme, uh, does he have demons behind him? And should we be afraid that demons are involved in, in uh, old Joe Biden himself? Look, pin the tail on the possession via newspaper isn't going to work. Defense against the dark arts lesson two. You're only going to know this when you're approximately near it and you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. So should we believe that there are demonic things influencing, controlling, and harming elite leadership of the global present reality? That's never not been true. That's always been true since Daniel. Daniel said this. We just, you, you didn't know that? Where you been? Right? What are you watching? Again, what are you listening to? Who's your talking head? So, um, but I don't think that means that like we're going to be capturing images of the demons behind Joe and then it'll expose him and it's all going to be and then we can get Trump back. Like, like it's just all part of the Q thing, right? And it's not Q particularly, and I'm not accusing you, but it's like this way of seeing the need for the rising of America again. Seeing the need to believe that the evil within the usury system of New Jersey and South Chicago that's trying to take over the world, it is not going to work. Right? And then that happening does not have to be the end times demonic possession of some sort of, I don't know, revelation thing. That For the record, you go check out all my teaching. I do not believe in a little season. I have never taught a little season of Satan. I've always taught against that. That is to say, I've always taught that we're not going to see the end of the world coming. And so, again, to assume that the end of the world is coming because the end of the United States is coming. The end of the United States is coming. To assume that the end of the world is coming because of that is a really, really arrogant thing that again shows how little we are aware within this insular propaganda media narrative culture of what's going on in the world around us. There's a lot of evil and horrible stuff going on in the world around us. That's also not that new. The thing that's new is the size of the global population. Hmm? The thing that's new is the number of people we're killing every year with abortions. Hmm? Uh, Those things are new. And so how long until God decides to remove 70,000 from... The planet, not 70, you know, but, but a big chunk in order to pare things back so that the evil backs off. I mean, that's, that's why you should listen to Grief History Power. <laughs> and you should, you know, think about what it means to be your own king, your own house, your own people within the walls of your family, wherein your identity and your flag that you fly isn't just tied to some industrialized narrative about how man's better now because we crossed the water and threw off the kings. I bought it. I bought it for a long time. So I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not bitter except at me. Whereas the bitter's like, it's like, really, Jonathan, like you had the Bible that whole time, man. And, and you really should have, you could have. But one thing I will say is that like, it seems to me that faith is not only a matter of your individual self, like to be sure, private, subjective, saving faith, a real thing. Uh, but there's also like the group soul. And this is where the zeitgeist scales that to like trying to see how the entire soul of the earth is working right now, you know, Gaia style, but uh, not really Gaia, but, um, thanks for the super chat. I'm not, I'm distracted. Uh, 
You really did it, Anakin. <laughs> there it went. Uh, zeitgeist, spirit, soul, group soul. Uh, so like we, whatever we means, your family, your congregation, a group of people following an agenda and ideology, we have a group spirit to ourselves. And the Bible even talks this way. It talks about Israel's soul, uh, which again has to be Jesus ultimately. But uh, to, to find your local plural soul, and then that group to defend itself from the intrusion of the lies together. Uh, that's what family is in the Bible. That's what a house is in the Bible. And then in the Bible, a tribe is more than one house. <laughs> so, so a tribe is a house that comes together with another house, to, you know, often just because they were born into it, but not always, right? I mean, it can be simply uh, that they're going to support each other's houses. And this is what we're advocating in a brief history of power, right? And not that you go out and like change anything other than your mind right? and start to see how what you're doing is building a household, you, your family, your friends, your congregation, you're building households for the sake of a society that could exist in a future U.S. if the U.S. gets it all figured out and stops doing what it's doing. But if it doesn't, it's going to be just like Argentina was 100 years ago, and we should be ready for that, right? And again, I, I, how many times can I recommend A Brief History of Power with two white guys? That's We just did the Argentina thing, and there's more, actually, there's more coming up this week we're going to be dealing with. And what do you do when there's potholes everywhere and they start pulling out guns to shoot on the road, right? I've got the potholes everywhere in Rockford. They're not shooting on the road just yet, except at night in certain areas and always in those areas. So how, how long? Oh Lord, right? Until that all that boils out. Jedi Knight says this. Ezekiel 28 is divided in two. First half is addressed to the ruler of Tyre, the second half to the king of Tyre. Very clever Bible chapter. I will not be able to dig that one out for you right now, Anakin, but that is yes. I am really curious about and I mean the, the language of who is the king, who is the ruler, who is the prince, and all this stuff in the Old Testament. It's not nearly as English as we think it is. King in English is a very positive word. It's not really a positive word biblically. It's kind of a negative word. Um, it does get uh, appropriated by Jesus. He comes along. He's like, well, fine, then I'll be that. <laughs> you know, I'll be the God man since you all think you can be. Um, and maybe that's all part of his his whole plan and the prophecies and whatnot. Um, But to to uh, to look at that nomenclature uh, of say king, ruler, prince, is very difficult to do it in English because we have all these assumptions about those words, and you really got to go back and start pulling those words as Hebrew words out to see uh, you know what their society was looking like and all this. Um, if that's where you're going, and, and the Ezekiel, I mean, goodness, his life and his having to deal with things is a lot like ours. Uh, Wildcats on the web asks, when, what will your next big book be? Um, this question hurts my heart. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna have one. Um, I think I will. I actually think I'm gonna have a bunch of little ones, but, uh, in all truth, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, it's all started for me when I could no longer handle carpal tunnel as I was experiencing it using a keyboard. I began exploring things like this in, as ways of tracking information. And what I've discovered is, is I'm way freer to think and read and study than I've ever been. Um, but to do the kind of work that created the first three books that I have um, happens, it's, it's, it's mechanical in a way that I don't want to do it again. 
<laughs> I just don't. Uh, it's it was it's just not the way to write. It wasn't it wasn't fun to write those books. They were um, they were things that in one sense I already knew and already had written and then just had to put down. And yet the if you're not a practiced writer, you know the first time you put something down doesn't always come out the way you want. And particularly with books like Echo and Without Flesh, I wanted to craft those things to a a pristine level. Um, and I think in large part that they are, and I'm not saying that I never want to do that again at all, but for the time, um, oh, let me say something else. Each of those books is a repristination. Each of those books is me taking somebody else's work that was already done and just kind of translating it forward, not from another language, right? Like they wrote in English or were translated in English already, but most people aren't going to read their book. And so, you know, quest for holiness, um, the large catechism, uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, the lonely way by Herman Sasa. Those are the three, the three works. And, um, I'm kind of past wanting to take someone else's work and just shove it forward and beginning to ask, okay, what am I seeing that I find? I want to study. I want to learn still. Um, and instead of just turning it all around and trying to give what's already been done. And, uh, I think also, I mean, if you take broken echo and without flesh as my, my foundational like confession. Um, I think I'm at a good place to start ex- exploring a little more, right? I mean, I, I've laid out that I believe a pretty essential gospel reality uh, about grace and how to spot the lie of legalism that the devil's always trying to put in that's broken. Um, and in echo, you've got the, the summary of all Christianity, right? Which is the small catechism. Uh, and, uh, and then in without flesh pointing out that the place we've lost most as Protestants from that small catechism is in, in the sacrament and understanding the body and our connection to each other through the sacrament, uh, which is in fact Christ. So from there, where do we go? I mean, I'm studying a lot of different stuff just cause I'm finding it. Right. And, uh, I'm also real excited about other projects I got going on here locally that take time. My kids are, I mean, my oldest is getting older <laughs> and I don't want to miss that. I've missed too much probably already. And my youngest, I'd like to see as much of her. So, so when am I going to sit down and like go to town on this book? Okay. Now with that said, hold on. The trick is how do I get from this pile of note cards that's the book I will teach you to be smart, which is my smart notebook, right? Which, I mean, it's not, shouldn't be too tough to pop out. Um, I have a little note down here with the word mitzma, which means project, uh, three days MacBook project, right? I think if I had three days, I could write a book, three days without, I'd be done. Do I want to do that right now? Can I do that right now? So those are the questions. And so, uh, I'm waiting for the moment when that one feels right. And then that one will come out. And that means maybe there's more I need to study on it too, right? So as I move into a model of I'm not repristinating, but instead I'm going to be thinking and reading and writing and then sharing that. And you can reject it because it won't necessarily be dogmatic. (laughs) Um, In that process, I'm going to do it as it comes and share as it comes. So um, the other thing that's happening that's making this uh, useful is I've got a local member who uh, really enjoys reading theology and she has agreed to start taking cards and catching cards and cataloging them uh, so that some of these things I'm studying that do overlap can eventually be published as notes. Um, and you may not be interested in that, but I think honestly, uh, a lot of what's coming out is very much like that. If you ever read uh, Charles Porterfield Krauth's book, um, I can't think of it now on top of my head, uh, The Confess- uh, Conservative Reformation in Theology, um, 
it's kind of like this, only not his is way more masterful. Um, but you know, publishing smaller things that can't stand alone, but eventually hang together. Uh, they aren't meditations, they aren't short stories, but somewhere in between, that's probably the next thing that'll actually get out, uh, truly. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I also have been working with his local editor on Earth again. Uh, if you remember, Earth was the um, is a story that you can still find the audio, I think. In, uh, in, the old, in the podcast channel way, way back. I think I read like the first five, seven chapters or something like that. Um, and there had been a, I'll tell the story because it makes me happy. There, there had been a notebook, a, a paper notebook, like a sketch pad with like a uh, grid on it. I, I used to like to write on, on grid sketch. Uh, and the entire sketch pad was filled, every line with handwriting. And then on the back, I'd gone, I think another seven pages on the back. And so you go all the way down and then you start going back the other way. And uh, that had sat for probably four years. And I didn't even know where it was. My wife had it. She'd found it and had it. So that was recently pulled out and then put into, from handwriting into text format, taking Earth from about being a third done to being, well, two thirds written. I'm going back now and looking at that, what would have been a first draft now. I'm going to second draft it. Um, up to that two-third part, that has been exciting. And the most exciting thing for me was that uh, uh, my editor, Sarah, she says she liked it, right? And so for, for me, it's like the poetry question before. Like when you find an audience, then you tend to have a reason to write more. Uh, when you don't have an audience, you, you know, if you really are performative, which CPTSD will definitely make you performative, um, then you're going to look for something that is resonating with people. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't like being alone. <laughs> so, so I like sharing things with people who want to, want to have them. Right. Uh, so in that regard, again, what is my next book? It, I don't know. I don't know. My next book is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Uh, and there's going to be probably a bunch of little books that come out of that. And if anything larger ever comes out, um, it'll be, uh, something I can't foresee now unless it's fiction. And I still struggle with the fiction idea. I'm not even sure it's worth the time. I mean, I, I think it is, um, in the sense of I don't want to, anybody who's written and published a fiction book, I don't be like, well, you're going to hell. I mean, that's, that's not what I mean. Um, but I mean, like, you know, there's a time for everything under the sun. And maybe the time for fiction is like over now for a while. You know, maybe Tolkien and Lewis were needed at a time. But maybe now fairyland isn't helping. Maybe maybe we need more real land. And uh, that's the question I'm asking for me, right? And so then do I go write a fairyland story and uh, Earth kind of is that, I guess it kind of isn't. Um, so yeah, one thing at a time and all things in their portion, I hope, uh, uh, as God would give them. Yeah. So where are we at here? 1030. We got half an hour left. What am I going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to take a small break and try to figure out what I'm going to do. So, uh, I will scan the comments while I'm gone here for some questions. If you got more questions this morning, make sure you type all caps at the front of the question. I'll try to come back and do whatever you got in the side in just a moment. All right, we're going to give Northwoods guy the hat tip for Sleepy Joe. Um, someone else pulled out Quid Pro Joe. Did he really say that one? And then there was also Hayden Biden. I like I like that one. That one that one kind of makes sense, actually. I was always thinking just like Crooked Joe, Lion Joe. I don't know. He's just a grandpa. We got a real question here. Uh, do you have any experience with the God's Word translation? I understand it has LCMS roots. Now, I may be confusing this with one of any number of 
circa 1960s, 70s, 80s, we're going to really fix it. The message translations that are largely paraphrasatic and independently published. I've had experience with some of those and I know they floated more than one floated around the LCMS. I didn't know any were made within the LCMS. They tend to be connected to charismatic movements, which is like, it's really interesting. So they get in the scriptures and they get into charismaticism at the same time. That would be something I'd advocate you do not do. Uh, that you try to stay founded in the scriptures as much as you can and stay away from the spirit of the age as much as you can. Good luck. Uh, so, you know, that means uh, maybe not brand new translations so much as going back to the original text yourself as I've advocated earlier. Uh, and my experience with this one, if I recall it correctly, is that it just it's just a paraphrase. So, like, it's good sometimes and it's bad other times. When it's good, it's probably really good. And when it's bad, it's probably really bad because it was a group in a corner kind of saying, we're going to make it modern now. And... I mean, it, I'm sure it helps some people, but it's probably not the Bible translation you want to, you know, form your commune around. Uh, I, I would, I would suggest. So, Mom Monster says there's a question from Daniel. Well, how did I miss? Oh, there it is. Okay, that's the one I just got. Okay, so we've got all of these, and we have uh, no more questions. So I'm glad that I went and I grabbed my teaching pack. This is something I've been throwing together recently as notes that I've had over time that seem to be, ah, what's the right word? Important. Uh, and worth talking about, compile into this little little deck of things. And they, it's in an order of sorts. I'm not really sure even how to tell you about it. Like, I want to show it to you. By the way, I do have like this, right? You guys remember this? Like, we're working on this still. It's not over yet. I just don't have a wire I used to own for some reason. So I'd love to show you guys this stuff. But, um... Because this doesn't quite cut it, does it now? But what I'd really like to have is a, a matrix filter for the Sundered Age. A way to like be able to look out there and discern what's going on using biblical truth and dogmatic realities that never change according to the text of Scripture without having to be cultish and weirdly institutional about it. You know, that I have to worship some other group in order to believe the same things as that group, uh, which seems to be the nature of institutions these days. Um... There's so much more to that, but one of the things, I mean, the next thing I have here is so if you're going to live in the Sundered Age, you want to know that tomorrow's the end of the world. Tomorrow is always the end of the world. And if you're not living like tomorrow's the end of the world first, then you're not living. You're not living. Uh, you're hiding. Now, once you're living, knowing that tomorrow's the end of the world first, you also have to know the world's going to be here another thousand years, probably. It's just you might die tomorrow, or the world might end tomorrow, or, well, tomorrow's the end of the world, but... You still want to leave some stuff behind for everybody else, right? You can't take it with you, but you can be the person who, when you go, those who are left, well, it's good for them, right? So be that person, right? And that starts by believing tomorrow's the end of the world. So don't hoard things. <laughs> don't hoard anything, okay? And and that's first. And then second, if you're going to think long-term, oh no, society might collapse. We should hoard food. Don't hoard food, become sustainable, right? Plan plan for a thousand year of what you can do repeatedly and not have to always change or be reliant upon others. Uh, tomorrow's the end of the world though. It's a great place to start your thinking. I'll tell you this, I'm not a prophet. I am not a prophet. I am not a prophet. I will never be a prophet. I am not the Christ for pity's sake either. And if you think that's weird to say, well, John the Baptist said it, so why shouldn't we? I'm not a prophet. Prophecy in the sense of being able to tell the future has passed. That ended. Even in the apostolic age, that one was pretty rare at that point. A couple spots and acts, you get it popping up. Mostly, though, it was healing, and those things tended to pass with the apostles themselves. I am a preacher of the text. 
I'm going to tell you what the text says. That's what any Christian man should do, but I've also been authorized by a local congregation to do this for them authorized by a large body to do it for them uh, or in and with their network. Okay. So all of that means that I am a prophet in the sense that whenever I say what the scripture says, the prophecy of the scripture stands firm and whole, and I should own that. So you're a prophet too. When you speak the creed, you're a prophet too. When you say what the 10 commandments are, you're a prophet too. When you pray the Lord's prayer. Okay. But, but in terms of future telling, I am not a prophet. You are not a prophet. There are no more future telling prophets, not within Christianity. If there's anything that you learn from some other diabolical means, well, you'll get what's coming to you on that regard. So with that all being said, I think we have to get ready for a shift in our civilization. Have you noticed it coming? That in this last year and a half, we seem to have like linchpinned. It's almost like we were swinging one direction on a big pendulum and we hit the end and had to come back because we couldn't go any further a certain way. And that when that happened, what we've been swinging toward was unity, swinging toward a unification, maybe even a global world religion based on staring at a screen. Uh, We've been swinging toward something like unto that. And it went, there's local realities. And it started swinging back toward locality, right? We were going toward universal. Now we're going to swing back toward individual, right? Uh, We and I. Um, uh, So with that, smacking and that shattering of the global narrative that we all thought in some level was really working. Tech's going to help us all get better lives. Um, we began to swing back. The global shattering point was, was COVID. This thing that many people are realizing there's a lot of elite regimes taking advantage of misinformation with COVID, but the greatest and most elite regime taking advantage of COVID is Jesus and his kingdom. And he has used his kingdom and COVID to fracture the narrative of the liar, which was like a global phenomenon. He was, everybody has listened to the same voice in one way. And now you got fragmentation all over the map and it's not going back, right? You certainly are going to have local things go back to whatever the local people think is normal. But when you visit three states over, you're gonna be like, wow, these people are really different than us. And before it used to be like, oh, they have different food. It's going to get fractal. It's going to get fragmented. It's going to be very, very different. I didn't mean to say fractal there. It's going to get fragmented. Um, so, it's like the universe took a hard left, but not everyone has noticed, depending on which TELUS vision programming you streamload. How's this for a thought? So, do you know Noah had 120 years to build the ark? The world had 100 years of heedlessness watching him build the ark. 100 years. What are you doing, dude? Oh, I'm building an ark. Why? This can't go on. What we're doing, they can't go on. So, so you're building an ark? Yeah, well, what's an ark? Uh, it's, it's a thing in which you go inside it when, well, can't go on, can't go on anymore. <laughs> right? Now, I'm not saying that, like, all Christians everywhere are supposed to build arks, although that's what the church is. Every congregation is an ark. It's built like a boat, usually, on purpose. There's reasons for these things. And we don't know any of these things, but they're, they're really there. So the ark of life that ferries across death's raging flood is the sacrament of the altar, the body and blood of Jesus Christ that enters into us as a community in an area approximately as the ark to take us from life to death, from death to life. Those arcs that are Christian congregations often also serve as civilizational or societal arcs at places wherein good manner 
is preserved. Hope is preserved. Friendship and equality and kindness and love and goodness are preserved or at least attempted to be preserved there, right? Uh, as opposed to just taking what you can when you can, as Jenner said to the rats of Nim. Yes, I think. Or in the rats of Nim. That's a, that's a long back memory there. Um, call trauma. Hello. Um, mm, mm, mm. So the point about Noah, though, is like, okay, I'm not a prophet, right? But the Lord woke Noah up enough to start building the ark with plenty of time to build the ark. So as we talk about living like tomorrow's the end of the world, while also living like the world could be here 100 years from now, I think it's important that for that regard, any Christian family or community right now that's striving to build anything builds like Noah would. Build with the expectation that you have one generation to do it. Before it really changes, before the zombies are actually at the walls, they're not going to be zombies, but, but before the barbarians are really just being barbarians, um, you got a generation on this thing, you know, um, act like that. Think like that. I'm not a prophet. I can't, I can't tell you the future, but, um, you can run out and just buy all your hoarding stuff right now and try to survive, you know, China and Russia and India bombing each other or something. But that's, that doesn't seem like the model. The model is, Hey guys, build an ark, build an ark. What's your ark? Your family. What's your ark? Your congregation. Get get building. Uh, ooh, destruction by fire, Sodom. Ooh, those who cling to this world will always do so to the last. What value are the goods in your home compared to the eternal life of your neighbor? Oh, and there's like this totally side note. I had someone recently be like, uh, someone brought up the women in history conversation recently in in my conversation hearing space. I just I just didn't even bite. Um, but, uh, remembering great women of the Bible, Lot's wife. Yeah, that's fun. Um, it's the arrogance that bothers me. Someone pointed out, you know, Fisk, why are you angry? I'm not angry at women at all. I really love my women. My women are amazing. Uh, and, and many women are amazing. What I'm angry about are women that don't like being women and then want to blame me for it. That's what I'm angry about. I think that's really like uncool. <laughs> so, uh, what does this one even say? We live in a Sitz in Leben. You know this one in German? Sitz in Leben is like your situation in time or your place, your context, but it's a big German philosophy word. We live in a Sitz in Leben that no post-Diluvian, that's after the flood, humans could have possibly imagined. It's true. Uh, we can't fathom it. We don't, right? What's going on in TV and what's done to our culture? We can't even fathom it. We don't. St. John's Apocalypse, Apocalypse has become a tame cult classic by comparison to what we all watch regularly. That's, that's something right there. That's something socially right there, right? The global destructive force of unbiblical ecumenical movement has doubled down the black swan by simultaneously removing centuries of centuries old institutions, right? So now where we tried to unify the entire Christian world and the world, like a, a, a generation and a century ago with the ecumenical movement, that has backfired. And we are instead tearing down all the institutions of the previous eras, right? Those are all falling apart. And so we're finding that a West without Jesus Christ is as equally new uh, as the magic kingdom that has dawned as a religion to end the ages in the supernatural diabolism that has been worked upon us by the television, right? Uh, so we find that without Jesus Christ, the new is actually just the old. We just are going to return to paganism. And it'll be barbaric paganism, Tyre, Sidon, Greek, Rome, I mean, but barbaric paganism. And the best hope would be that some revival of Roman republicanism shows up somewhere. That's the best hope for humans. Then again, actually, here's the best hope for humans, that Christians realize that we could rule by simply being wise, 
that we could because everyone else is getting really, really dumb on purpose. They're trying. They think it's fun. If you instead decide for 15 years now, become wise, read the Proverbs, pray the Psalms. My guess is, I mean, they could kill you. They could just kill you. But then again, maybe like everyone's like, hey, man, what do you think? You could tell me what to do. And you'd be like, I got too many people asking me that question. I need more people reading the Psalms and the Proverbs so they can answer their own questions, right? Like, but that is wisdom in your palm. That is the promise of Jesus Christ to have a mind that can discern the ages. Where did you believe this idea that just because you can't root out the original sin living within you, that therefore it's a reason to just kind of manby-pants our ways through life? Huh? I saw a conversation earlier in the side jar about heart, and I think that's a big part of this. It's about the heart. The gospel and the distinction between law and gospel is there to preserve, protect, and enlarge your heart. But let me contend that some of the debate about law and gospel in my little neck of the woods has occurred because we've been using that dogma, not as it was given, but in order to diminish the heart of our people, generally tutting them into thinking that they can never really quite do anything good because there'll always be sin inside still. So they're never really proud of anything they do, and they're never really able to embrace doing things because it's always done with the fervor fear that they might somehow do it wrong. And this is Lutheran dogmatics gone really, really bad. I I do think Uh, it's, it's not like Lutheran dogmatics at all. Uh, it's pietism or it's legalism. It's a form of attempting to control your present by clinging to it so hard that it never falls apart. Uh, uh, I, is there a fix to this? I don't know, but I know this, right? I know that as the West continues to remove Christ from everything and collapses itself, that the wisdom that is there in the scriptures, and certainly Proverbs by itself will not save you. Jesus Christ is the deliverer. It is Jesus Christ who saves you, the king who is raised. I am suggesting that the king who is raised, who left us the New Testament, if you go back and you read Proverbs for like a year and a half or seven (laughs) or forever and read the New Testament, you'll find out, oh my goodness, it's the same book. Oh my goodness, it's the same king. Oh my goodness, it tells me, oh, we we should not be doing, what what are we, they're gonna, let's build an ark. Let's build an ark. Yeah, you hear me? You hear me? Ay, 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 ay. So where are we at here for time? Ten more minutes. Can I go on in this? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. We've done a lot of this today. My heart is tired. I'll say this. My heart is tired. Why is that? What is it about this life, American, that sucks the spirit out of you? You know? We are the most medicated peoples ever, I think. And, and certainly also, uh, on a wide scale, the wealthiest. And I don't doubt that there were empires at various times that had the scale of ease of access of stuff, uh, that we do, but never with like the, I mean, the glowing, glowing things in the ceiling, you know, the, uh, glow crystal and all that. <laughs> so we live in this place where we have these incredible, incredible gifts, but it's, it's very easy to then think that this is normal and sustainable. There are people who are shouting about how it's not sustainable. And while I'm not going to be, you know, I don't think shutting down the nuclear plant in Illinois was a great idea at all. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't change the fact uh, that it, there is a limited amount of resource. Those resources get used by evil people who take them for themselves and they don't share them. And that history is that over and over again, except for Jesus, who took all of the evil 
and is going to give us all the good. And again, he begins doing this by awakening you to believe that this one's actually the, this is the illusion, right? It's not an illusion. It's right here. But compared to what's coming, it's unglorified. It is, it is mortal, right? It is the illusion. And it, it, it will all pierce and burn and strip away at a certain point. And so the heart of the Christian is like this whole different organism from what everyone else is living with that just believes that. And I'm, as we said earlier, you don't get to choose to believe that. The preaching creates that in you. What preaching? The scriptures themselves, the text, talking about it, giving uh, you know detailed uh, lists of genealogy. None of that's going to help. What has to happen is the text has to be opened. And we have to hear what it means. Uh, it has to be confessed. I believe this says that. And that is the Holy Spirit's work in our midst, first through the preacher, right? The one who is called to that position, but then also through all the rest of us. This creates a spirit that is plural again, right? That soul that I was talking about earlier, the group soul. And let me suggest to you that whether you like it or not, the, uh, the Lord is pulling together the group souls of his Christian congregations wherever they gather around this planet right now in order to build arcs for the faith, arcs for the faith, which may or may not include our bodies surviving. And it may or may not include all of us surviving another generation. We, we really don't know what's coming. And it doesn't matter because tomorrow's going to end the world anyway. And then we just want to leave behind that enough that or the, a sense that those who do make it, if there's an event where many of us die, we want to have a system that those who do make it can run with, right? We want to have a, a sustainable reality for anybody who can. Um, and what does that mean? It means put your hand to what you find where you are right now, uh, which means, again, I say <laughs> before you run out and, and, you know, buy a farm, although I'm, you know, I'm all for it, man. Uh, but before you run out and buy a farm, I mean, again, read the Proverbs, pray the Psalms, be where you are. Uh, realize that where you are probably has a lot of advantages to getting you where you want to be that you haven't used yet because you haven't realized you want to move yet, right? Uh, and then set that plan and have the discipline of not an instant gratification, but a, a long-term goal, a long-term hope. And this goes for everything we've talked about this morning from you know your devotional life, if you can't do all the Psalms in one day, just do one verse. Come on, you can do one verse. You're like, but it's too easy. No, then do it. You know, golly, I have to hold your hand. Um, then, you know, just do the one verse. Uh, get that small win. Uh, to to you know whatever scale you want to bring it up to. Um, first principle again uh, should apply across the board. All right, all right, all right. So that was that was me going off and going off some more. We still have five minutes. Man, I need more guests on the show. I do have a guest next week coming, uh, and uh, she's going to be talking to me about uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder and asking about life with it uh, as part of her research and podcasting. Um, and uh, so that'll be interesting for me since it's still pretty new for me. Uh, I know one of her first questions is, you know, what about the public knowing that you have something like this, right? How does that impact uh, uh, your public life? And uh, I'll try to answer that, you know, more next week than this. Uh, but I, here, I'm going to give you kind of the short answer. Like, so if, if you, your whole life long are able to like be something with a handicap that you don't know about and no one else knows about. And then one day you finally have a handicap. I don't think that's a reason to stop doing everything you've done up to that point. If you've proved you can do it. Right. <laughs> so, so until it becomes something that stops, you know, the, this is where the pastor side goes until it would be in the way of the work of pastoring. Um, and that the congregation would say that to me. 
which again, we're talking about it. Uh, it's, um, it's not a thing, right? And so that's where complex post-traumatic stress disorder is complex and not everyone's experience of it is the same. There's at least four different quadrants uh, that, that have it take place. And do note this, I learned that this one this week as Peter Walker sent me an email actually, um, that it is not yet officially recognized by those people who still officially recognize things. Remember, these are the people putting drugs in little boys right now. I'm not going to hold my breath for fair diagnosis in the future. But so when it comes to things like disability and all this kind of stuff, not even here, not even a part of it, right? PTSD exists. This not, not so much. I can say I have PTSD instead. Right. But like it's, it's, it's a different, different thing. So anyway, we'll talk more about that next week. If you're kind of looking for more on that level. And then we do have coming up in two weeks, uh, pastor Wolfman is going to join me. We're going to deep dive on second Thessalonians two, the man of lawlessness. I'm going to make him prove to me that it's the Pope. Cause I just can't believe it's the Pope. Even though I do think the Pope's the antichrist, that verse, it just doesn't make sense. I don't know, but he proved it to me once before and convinced me. So we'll do it again. Uh, that'll come up in, in about two weeks. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, I don't know. Let's see. I'm looking for questions. You guys are all just chatting about whatever. Um, how do you find the chill on discord? Is that the question? You go to discord. If you get in it, start your account and you just look for us, the chill in the search. I think this is where I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this discord. <laughs> I, I, I love how a couple of you have joined the discord recently. And you're like, I don't know what it is, but Fisk sent me here. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, were you ever on the internet in like the, let this be 80s, 90s, 90s, early AOL chat room kind of thing? It's a little like that, a little like a forums. It's a lot like Facebook. You just got used to Facebook. Facebook's weird. I can't look at Facebook now. It's been a year or so, right? Six months, seven months. I can't look at it. It's like, what's going on? What's going on on that screen, right? And Discord can feel that way when you first dig into it. So uh, ask for some help. Uh, go to Citadelia when you get in the channels. Uh, Citadelia is kind of the, the public uh, brawl house. <laughs> Everyone's rather there's a fight in the streets, but usually it's pretty good form. Uh, and uh, uh, it's a good place. It's a good place. So yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is why my show is just me talking. Is because they're at a certain point. Oh, here we go. This is a good one to talk about. Because uh, at a certain point, um, you guys stop asking questions and I just talk because I feel like I have to. Amy asks, aren't basically all vaccines these days developed from aborted fetal cells? Um, no, this is where, so is two episodes ago, brief history of power. I asked Dr. Coons, what's a vaccine? And that, that little seven minute opening segment is really helpful. I think here. And it's the, the problem is vaccine. <laughs> the easiest way through it is for you to understand vaccines don't exist as a thing. It's a category that's not really a category. It's a category without a distinction. It's a way for us to say all these things are the same, even though they're all completely different from each other. <laughs> and so we're like, oh, it's a vaccine. And we're like, and everyone's like, oh, it's okay. It doesn't mean anything. Vaccines are made from all sorts of different stuff. So like the early vaccines, the best example of that uh, is, is uh, Princess Bride, right? You remember this? Okay, so he beats the Spaniard. He beats the giant. He sits down with Vincini. They're going to have a little battle of wits and the Iocane powder and involved in a land war in Asia and all that stuff, right? And then what's happened, he's built up an immunity to this poison powder over time by taking small doses so that he can ingest it and live and Vincini dies and he saves his princess and it's all great, right? So that was how the first vaccines worked is that they would take something that was what would make you sick and they would introduce parts of it, small parts of it to you. So eventually you build up the ability to resist the viral overload, right? Um, since then, there have been more than one way to prevent a human deficiency or illness through the injection of something that we call vaccines, but they don't all work that way. 
Some of them, chicken pox, make use of dead baby cells in development. They're old cell lines. The argument can be made that what's done is done and it's in the market. So you buy what's in the market. You don't worry about it. My conscience has heard enough that I worry about it. <laughs> uh, there's enough dead babies that I worry about it. And um, there's enough imbalancing of the world where we're getting way too much benefit. And where's that black swan? And look at all those dead babies. And I worry about it. You know, the math is bad for our future. But that's my futurism. And again, I'm not a prophet. Um, not all vaccines follow this route. There are other ones that for, for follow other attempted sciences. I'm no expert on that. But again, there are some that are like building up immunity by exposure. There are some that are using uh, embryo cells uh, that have been somehow, I don't even know how it works. I don't want to know. It's evil. Uh, and then you have the new ones, which are the mRNA ones. And everyone wants to debate. It's DNA. It's not DNA. It's epigenetic. It's not epigenetic. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's not a vaccine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's genetic engineering. It's genetic engineering. I mean, it's supposed to work not like changing your genetics quite, but sort of, and sometimes, and depends on who you talk to again, uh, not all vaccines are developed from aborted fetal cells. The ones from Pfizer that are the genetic engineering genes did use fetal cells, but not in development only because they use fetal cells to make the tests they run on them. Isn't that nice? What a marvelous company. Anyway, oh, the evil of it all. Mm. So, but your question though, no, not all of them are from aborted fetal cells. And so what was it? The smallpox, I think is the original vaccine, which apparently didn't work that great. I saw that somewhere recently too. And that's why I don't even want to know. Um, you can get into the, what is it? The, the brief history power chat in the discord, as well as the dystopic cosmic horror. We like to deal with these kinds of questions wherein we can all disagree and all kind of be on the same team and realize we're not happy about it. Um, so don't go there. If you're like the pro vaxxer, uh, the captain COVID crunch, you can go there. If you're the, the pro vaxxer, it's a pretty decent channel focused on real information about the vaccines. You'll find out that most people there are anti-vaxxers, but it'd be a great place. I mean, I'd love to have a vaxxer in there talking about it. Um, because that, that channel has been real good about like, let's look at the data. Let's let the data answer. So if you have more questions about vaccines, the Mad Christian Discord, Captain COVID Crunch channel, <laughs> it's all there. I mean, we got like a whole little universe right there. Um, but not all vaccines are vaccines because vaccines aren't a thing. They're just something we say to talk about um, immunization buildup and or whatever the baby thing is and or genetic engineering yourselves to resist something hopefully, maybe. So definitely not all baby cells. Definitely, definitely not all baby cells. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. Ironic that some people, Jonathan says, some people who are the most vegan, organic, non-GMO food are also the most pro-vaccine. Yeah. I don't know how a vegan person can be organic at the end of the day. Uh, the only way you can live as a vegan is to uh, grow food unorganically at, at scale. Uh, you just can't. You can't do it. You need protein from something that's not a plant. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are at the end of this hour. I want to talk more. I really feel, oh, oh, you're hearing my internal like like angst here. I've shared this before. Like like somewhere, I enjoy this show. I really do. Like deep down, like, I'm really sad that it's over. Like the last 20 minutes though have been hard. I'm like, oh man, I don't have more to say. Oh, I don't know what to do this. Ah, man. But now it's over. I'm like, Jonathan, you have the greatest opportunity in the world. Talk to these people. And they listen. And it's great. So thank you for being here and supporting the show. Uh, if you do not support the show already with your prayers, 
please do. What's going on here in Rockford is more than just this Saturday morning chill. What I am thankfully being given the opportunity to do is to pivot. I mean it to pivot what we got going on here Saturday mornings into something even bigger and better. Uh, and that long-term goal, well, you'll hear more as it comes. It is in play. And so your support with prayer, first and foremost, pray that Rockford be the kind of place that you'd like your hometown to be, a place where uh, there's a Christian church that you can go to that you know you're going to receive word and sacrament, law and gospel ministry at, and be confident in and believe that also in whatever season of calling the Lord has for this uh, sometimes great land that we live in, uh, that, that the congregations that are attentive to his word will be made into to cities on the hill, right? And into lights uh, shining in the darkness for those who are still out there and searching in the midst of the pagan, the pagan evil. So uh, keep me in your prayers on that end. And then, um, I mean, particularly on that end. And then if you do not yet support on Patreon and would consider doing so, that is how the wagon wheels go around on this thing. Uh, I spent, what was it? And wood, I did, I bought wood. I'd heard that wood was like $80 for a two by four. It's not all two by fours, but yeah, 72 bucks for the really good two by four. That is correct. And, uh, wow. Um, so I, I don't know. I bought 75 bucks worth of wood yesterday. That's where, when you support me on Patreon, it goes into building things like you can't see it, but <laughs> go this way. see the wood. There is wood. I bought wood. I cut wood. I nailed wood and screwed wood, and now I have lights and microphones and things. So um, Patreon, uh, Rev Fisk, uh, that is the way to help me out there. And um, what else? Mad Christian Mondays we haven't talked about yet enough today either. Uh, Mad Christian Mondays is that single news source that you want every single week so that you don't have to get into the internet much else at all, and you can see what's passed. You can see, oh, flying cars. They finally showed up. Oh, they crashed. They're not going to happen again. Okay, so, you, I mean, that kind of news, plus, of course, Piercing the darkness with some sanity, some truth. You sign up at redfist.com slash newsletter for Mad Christian Mondays. Hopes will be that that thing will be on its own with its own website sometime in the next year. That is definitely one of the goals uh, that we have going forward. So, uh, I think that brings us there. You know what? He is risen. You're paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. That is church. That is Christianity. And uh, those who walk with the shambling feet of darkness, clarified by not just proverbial, but the eternal wisdom of the throne, everlasting, the son of David. Those who walk in the midst of this chaos and death and decay, they can lift up their heads and not wallow in the muck with all the rest who have no hope, especially and all the more as we see the day approaching. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?